Thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. We are excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. It is our prayer that it is a blessing to you. We just want to make you aware of a couple things before we get to the message. First, we would love to connect with you. You can find us on Facebook at New Grace BC. Also, be sure to check out our website, reachingroanoke.com. There, you can find out more about who we are and where we are going as a church. Again, thank you for checking out our sermon here at New Grace. Please let us know of any questions you may have or any way that we can help you and your family. Enjoy the message. So several weeks ago, we began looking into the truth of the spiritual world and the spiritual warfare that we are involved in. And we've already seen a couple powerful truths. We saw, first of all, that there is an invisible world. There is an invisible world that we uh, do not have access to, that we can't see, that we, and I'll be honest with you, I believe if we did see it, it would probably scare us to death. Uh, the things that go on in this pure, in this invisible world. But there's an invisible world with angels and demons and spiritual battle. And there's an invisible war that we are a, pa- a part of. And our foe is very formidable and very powerful. But God wants to protect us. God hasn't left us in this battle to fend for ourselves, to to fight these enemies, to fight these demons on our own. God has given us everything we need to win the battle and to be protected from every attack of the enemy. He's given us what we call, of course, the armor of God. But if we don't know what the armor is, if we don't know how to put on the armor and how to use it, it doesn't do us any good. So today we're going to learn what the armor is and how to use it to be protected uh, from the attacks of the enemy. And a lot of times we are on guard for these huge, massive attacks of Satan. And that's typically not how Satan attacks us. You know, if you've ever flown a lot, uh, maybe you've been stuck on the tarmac. One time, years ago, I was stuck on the tarmac waiting for the plane to de-ice. We were flying out of Chicago, uh, and I was waiting on the plane's wings to de-ice. And uh, so they had to clear off the ice, and so it's, it's frustrating because you've got to sit there and wait for the wings to heat up enough for the ice to fall off to be safe to fly. And you, you look at the wing, and you don't see a whole lot on there. You know, when the pilot said we have to wait for the wings to de-ice, I expect to look out there and see, like, icebergs on the wings. But it just the wings just looked wet. But if there's just an eighth of an inch of ice on the wings of a plane, it can bring the plane down. It doesn't take a whole lot of ice to make a devastating impact. And Satan doesn't have to make huge attacks to make devastating impacts on our lives. He rarely tempts us with big sins. You know, no Christian who's been faithful to their wife for 30 years wakes up one morning and says, you know what, I'm going to cheat on my wife today. It just doesn't happen. Someone who's been pure and kept themselves pure and guarded their heart and guarded their eyes for years doesn't just wake up and say, you know what, this afternoon I'm getting hooked on internet pornography. That's, that's not how Satan attacks us. Instead, Satan takes us down a delicate path of deception one inch at a time. And that's the problem with deception. You never realize or recognize it until it's too late. Until you've gone too far down the path You don't recognize that Satan has been tempting you and tricking you and deceiving you all along. And and his tricks are timeless. His schemes are subtle. So to stand against his tactics, 
We have to put on the spiritual armor that God has given us. At the end of World War II, the Paris Peace Treaties officially ended the war. So after the signing of the Paris Peace Treaties, the, the Axis powers had surrendered, the war was over, and there was peace throughout Europe and Asia. Unfortunately, the word didn't spread to a lot of Japanese soldiers in the South Pacific on some of these dozens of islands that some heavy fighting was going on. And so for months after the war, there were still Marines and, and, and American soldiers fighting these Japanese troops on these battlefields after the war had ended. Matter of fact, I read a couple years ago that there was one Japanese soldier on one island who uh, was separated from his troop, and he never got word that the war was over, and he continued fighting for 40 years, hiding from people, thinking that they were the enemy coming to get him. So for 40 years, he hid out in the jungle. He would set traps. He killed several people because he thought they were still at war until he finally gave up and surrendered. And they're like, dude, we it ended 40 years ago. But for, for, for months after the war, some of these soldiers were involved in guerrilla warfare. Now, the war was over. The war had been lost by the Japanese, but they were still fighting battles. The American soldiers had won the war, but after the war had ended, there were still soldiers being attacked, being shot at, being killed in these battles that, had ha that were happening after the war had already been won. Now, the war that we are fighting, our spiritual war, is over. Satan's lost. We've won, but we still fight battles. He still attacks us and engages in guerrilla warfare in our life. And so we are living in a day when Jesus died on the cross. He won the war. He broke the power of sin. He triumphed over the enemy. He defeated Satan once and for all. The war is over, but the battle still rages. The enemy is waging a guerrilla warfare to damage, to discredit, to discourage us, and to ruin our lives. And God gives us clear commands and protections to help us be victorious in these battles. So on your notes there, you see, first thing that we know is that Satan was defeated at the cross. Satan was defeated at the cross. When Jesus died on the cross, Satan did not win. The Roman government did not win. The Pharisees did not win. The, the Jewish religious elite did not win. Jesus won because he died for our sins to pay our sin debt. He came to die. So when Jesus died on the cross and he was buried and he rose again, Satan was defeated. Second thing we notice is sin's penalty was paid for all people at the cross. Again, when Jesus died on the cross, he was dying for my sins and your sins and the world's sins. He wasn't dying for his sins. He had no sins. He was the perfect, sinless Lamb of God. So when he died on the cross and was buried and rose again, he paid the penalty for sin for all people. Third thing we notice is sin's power was broken at the cross. Before salvation, we sinned because we were sinners. That's, that's our nature. That's who we were. That's what we're made to do. We were, we were rebels against God. We were opposed to God. The only thing we knew how to do was to sin. After salvation, when Jesus Christ becomes your Savior, you become a new creature. All things are passed away. Behold, we're all, become, we're all become new. So now that we are new creatures, we do not have to sin. 
Now we still do sin. But now when we sin, it's not because sin has power over us. The sin does not have power over us. We are tempted and we're led away and we're deceived and we end up sinning. But sin doesn't control us anymore. Sin's power was broken at the cross. And then we see Satan and his army of fallen angels engage in guerrilla warfare. And he's got several things he's trying to do. He, to, he, they engage in guerrilla warfare to discourage, to deceive, to divide, and destroy God's people. That's, ever, that's always Satan's tactics. Do I need to repeat them? Yeah, to times. discourage. He wants to discourage you. He wants you to, to believe you have not won. He wants you to think that you are not worthy. So he discourages us. He deceives us. He lies to us. He tricks us. He, he tries to convince us about different things. He divides us. If he, can't, if he can get us fighting against each other, and honestly, there's a lot of, of, of silly battles going on in Christianity today. People fighting over, over things that don't matter, over music style and dress style and Bible translations and all these things. We're, we're spending our time and our energy writing blogs and preaching sermons about these things and bashing. And, and the world's still dying to go to hell, and that is Satan's tactic. He is dividing us against each other. So we, we stop focusing on what we're supposed to focus on. And then he wants to destroy God's people. His ultimate goal is to destroy God's people. <clears throat> so as believers, God, we are commanded by God to equip and prepare for the battles ahead in the strength of the Lord. We are to equip and prepare for the battles uh, that we're coming. And so we can, we can stand firm against the enemy's schemes and engage and defeat him in the specific battles that he launches against us. Because here's the thing. Satan attacks each one of us differently. He has specific ways that he attacks John that he doesn't attack me. Now, he attacks us both in the same way through April, but there's other ways that he attacks John that he doesn't attack me. He attacks Zach in, Zach in different ways than he attacks David. He attacks Daryl in different ways than he attacks his children. Every one of us are attacked. And here's the thing we do, and this is dangerous. We'll see how we're getting attacked, and we'll look at other people and say, well, they're not getting attacked. How come they're not getting attacked? And, but they are, just differently. And so we, we have these specific attacks Satan has designed for you that we can be prepared for to defeat these attacks. So how do we prepare ourselves for the attacks of Satan? Well, look at Ephesians chapter 6, starting at verse number 13. <clears throat> Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may, may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now the picture that Paul is painting here is he is picture he is giving the picture of a general who is calling his troops to order. He is calling them to assembly. He is telling them to get ready for battle, to load up. Now remember Paul, the only thing he knew was Roman soldiers. So in his mind, when he's talking about a commander calling their troops to battle, he's imagining Roman soldiers getting up and they're, they're putting on their belts and they're putting on their breastplates and they're getting their spears and their swords and their shields, putting on their helmets and putting on their, their little weird sandals that wrap all the way around their legs. And so he's imagining this. 
In our time, he'd be talking to soldiers who'd be putting on their commando boots and their, 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 their combat pants, and, and Matt probably knows better what he put on. He gets their M16 or, or whatever they use now, uh, and they get their, their helmets on, and they get all these other things. So it's, it's a soldier, a commander calling a soldier to battle. And there are two commands in these verses that our commander is giving to us, his children, his soldiers. The first command is number one, pick up your armor. Pick up your armor. There is a sense of urgency in these verses. Look again at verse number 13. <clears throat> Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. That, that, that verb there, take up, it's a, it's a phrase that means to pick up and to get ready for. And it's an, a sense of urgency that is telling us to get ready and get our armor on and get our weapons ready now. It is in the present active tense, which means do it now. This isn't something we can wait on. Paul's not saying, when you get time, put on your armor. If you feel like it, put on your armor. Paul is saying, we are in a battle right now, and you need to put your armor on right now. Our commander, Jesus Christ, he urgently commands us to pick up our spiritual armor and put it on. This isn't something he does for us. He provides the armor for us. He provides the breastplate of righteousness. He provides the belt of truth. He provides the helmet of salvation. He provides the armor for us, but we have to put it on. We have to be the ones that actually go through the motions and do what needs to be done. We have to do it for ourselves. But everything that we need to defeat the enemy has been given to us by Jesus. But we have to pick it up and we have to put it on. And so Paul is using the image of a Roman soldier again. Put on the belt of truth. Put on the breastplate of righteousness. Put on the shoes of the preparation of the gospel of peace. He's saying get ready so you can stand firm and withstand in the evil day when Satan attacks you. To stand firm isn't to, to get ready and prepare yourself for an attack. Like someone's charging at you and you're going to stand firm away from them to hit you. It is the idea of not giving up control of something that you already own. That has already been won. So what is Paul telling us to stand firm in? What do we own that Satan's going to try to take away from us? So we have come out of the kingdom of darkness and we have been adopted into the kingdom of light. You have been sealed with the Spirit of God. Because these are all things that Paul talked about earlier on in Ephesians. You've been sealed with the Spirit. We have been given spiritual gifts by God. You are a part of the body of Christ. You, as a child of God, have a spiritual inheritance. You have been given forgiveness. You have been given peace. You have the fruit of the Spirit. And all this is territory that is yours through Christ Jesus. That has already been one that Satan's going to try to steal from you. You possess it as a child of God, and that is who you are. That is what you have. So we are to stand firm and hold on to what's God has given us. And God tells us, darts are going to come. Lies are going to come. People are going to come. Circumstances are going to come to tell you that you're not worthy. To tell you that you don't have peace. To tell you that God doesn't love you. 
to tell you that you shouldn't forgive other people because God's not forgiven you. And those are lies that will encroach on your life and how you live. And when we allow those things to happen, how we live begins to look not a whole lot different than how the world lives. How we think begins to look a whole lot like the way the world thinks. How we treat people begins to look a whole lot like the way the world treats people. So standing firm is holding on to the areas that you already possess. And we are to urgently put in our, our armor so we can stand and be prepared to stand when the attacks come to steal what we have. When Satan comes to steal your joy. When Satan comes to steal your peace. When Satan comes to lie to you and tell you that God doesn't love you and God hasn't given you and you're not a child of God. We are staying firm to not give up what we've already been given. Now the evil day that Paul is talking about is speaking of a particular day at a particular time. The battles are not always the same. And here's the thing. Satan isn't always attacking you. Because if he was always attacking us, we'd be prepared for it. We'd be ready for it. We'd be on guard for it. So he, he waits. Remember what we saw last week? He's, he's like a roaring lion. He is prowling around your life looking for weak times, looking for weak spaces where he can, he can attack. So you're not always attacked. There are, there are specific opportunities and times when he will attack. He will come at specific times to deceive you and discourage you and turn you away from Jesus. When will he come? He'll come when you're tired. You know, you don't make good choices when you're tired. You know, when, you're, when you stay up late and you're watching TV late at night, you don't make good choices about what you're going to watch. When you're sleeping on the computer, you don't make good choices what you allow to pop up. When you're, when you're I don't know about you, but when I'm tired, I don't make good choices in, in how I treat people. I'm more irritable. I snap at people a lot more. I lose my temper easier. So when I'm tired, Satan's going to attack me. When you're, when you're fighting with your spouse, those are times Satan's going to attack. When you and your spouse aren't on good terms because y'all had a, a fight over whatever. I mean, let's be honest. Spouses fight over some... We fight over some stupid stuff. Some of it's great. Some of it's legitimate. Some of it's just idiotic. And so we fight over these things. We get mad at each other. And Satan sees us divided... That when he, that's when he's going to attack. He's going to attack when financial difficulties come. When you, when you lose your job and you're not sure how you're going to make payments on your mortgage or your rent, that's when Satan's going to come and attack because he knows that you're weak. He's going to attack you when, when your kids are sick and in the ICU and you begin to doubt whether God even answers your prayers or at all. You begin to doubt God's goodness. He's going to attack... When you have prayed about something and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and it seems like God is doing the opposite of what you're praying, that's when he's going to come and put seeds of doubt in your heart that if God really loved you, he'd have done what you prayed for. Take away that faith where God, I'm going to pray this way, but Lord, your will be done. And Lord, if you decide to do something that I don't think should be done or something contrary to what I pray, Lord, you're sovereign, you're God, you're good, you love me and only want the best for me, so I trust what you're doing. When that happens, Satan's going to come in and say, you know what, if God was really good to you, he would have done what you asked. So Satan's going to attack when we're weak. That's when the enemy whispers that God doesn't hear your prayers so what's the point of even talking to him. Now there are different times in different people's lives 
where the evil day will be, and we need to be able to resist him. We need to guard our territory so that who we are in Christ doesn't get hidden from us. Second command that God gives us there, first of all, put on, take up your armor. <clears throat> Second command is stand against the enemy. Stand against the enemy. Verse number 14. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth and having the breastplate and having on the breastplate of righteousness. So after, after picking up our armor, we are commanded to consciously decide to stand our ground fearlessly against the enemy. To consciously decide to stand our ground fearlessly against the enemy. So Satan will attack us by trying to deceive us, by trying to accuse us and discourage us, and we have to decide to stand against him. You know, the Bible calls Satan the accuser of the brethren. Uh, people have always told me, and I've always heard people preach, that, that means Satan is in heaven, and they've always used the, the imagery of a courtroom where God's the judge and Satan is the, the, is the prosecutor and he's accusing us to God. Oh God, he's a sinner, he's a liar, he's a cheater, he's a thief. And so he's accusing us to God and then Jesus is there and he's our public defender. It's a good public defender to have, but he's going to God on our behalf. And, you know, Satan, Jesus like, oh, well, he's, he's guilty, but he's got the blood, so it's all forgiven. And so I've always thought that Satan is accusing us to God. I don't really believe that's what's happening. I believe Satan's biggest power is accusing us to us. I believe his biggest power, his biggest attack, is coming to us and reminding us of all those things we did that we hope people don't know about. And if you, you call yourself a child of God and you watch that show, you call yourself a preacher and you... You look at that stuff. You call yourself a Christian and you, you talk to people like that. You treat people like that. And so he accuses of us. And then even after, maybe we're not doing anything wrong, he reminds us of what we did before we got saved. Remember when you did whatever? And it makes us, it's guilt. It's shame. See, God doesn't give us guilt. God sends conviction. Conviction is meant to restore our relationship with God, to make us see that we've sinned, confess our sin, get right with God. Shame makes us want to hide. Guilt makes us want to hide. And so Satan, he accuses us. He attacks us. He tries to discourage us. And when these attacks come, we have to decide to stand against him. And we stand firm by putting on the whole armor of God. Now, we, through this series, we're going to go through the armor. But first, I want to tell you something about the armor. Again, through the years, I've heard a lot of sermons on the armor of God. I've read a lot of books about the armor of God. I've even preached on the armor of God. And a lot of people, they, they talk about each piece specifically and tell you how you're supposed to pray to spiritually put on this piece. Like you're supposed to wake up every morning and say, oh God, help me put on the belt of truth. Help me put on the, the breastplate of righteousness. It's like, it's like you're going through a ritual to put on this armor to prepare yourself for what's happening. What we need to understand is when Paul's talking about the armor of God, He's speaking in metaphor. He's talking, about, he's, he's talking about a battle we are in, and he is metaphorically teaching us how to get ready for these, for these battles. So Paul is using these things as a metaphor because that's what he knew. It's how we, he is telling us how we can live out a relationship with Jesus. It isn't a ritual you go through every day to put on these pieces. So I don't want you waking up tomorrow and saying, Oh, Lord, help me put on my, my, my belt of truth. Help me put on my breastplate of righteousness. You can, 
But that's not really what Paul's talking about here. God has given us the armor, or he, what he, Paul is t- telling us here is God has given us the means to defeat the enemy. God has given us everything we need to beat Satan when he attacks us. It's our job to pick up those pieces, to do what God's given us to do when we go to battle. So we'll look at the armor. We'll see what it was to the Roman soldier, because again, Paul spoke as a Roman soldier, because that's what he knew. We'll see what the word means then and how to apply it today. So real quick, we're going to look at one, girding your loins with truth. Standing there for having your loins girt about with truth. Now, every Roman soldier had a belt. And the belt was what the rest of the armor was hooked to. So it wasn't, it wasn't like, you know, the belt that we wear, you know, just keep your britches up. It was a, a big kind of wide belt that had, it's where he kept his sword. It actually had a place to keep his, his shield hooked to. The breastplate he put on, the armor would hook to the belt. And so it, it would attach to the belt. His, you know, you've seen Roman soldiers, the, it's not a skirt, but the skirt they wore would attach to the belt. And they had a, a long cloak that would attach to it as well. Now, the cloak was only worn in wintertime during battles here, but everything re- re- relied on this belt. If he didn't have his belt, he didn't have any armor. He couldn't put his breastplate on because it attached to the belt. He couldn't take his sword with him because it attached to the belt. He couldn't take the, the, the shield with him because it, it attached to the belt. And so, again, with this, with this robe he had on, it, it was used to keep in, in place so he could fight. Now, if a Roman soldier was off-duty, he would loosen his belt, kind of like we do at Thanksgiving. Loosen up, let everything kind of fly out. But then when he was off duty, he would kind of loosen the belt because it held everything on, so it kind of released some weight. So if that's what he would do when it's off built, if he was off duty. So the first instruction that God has given us, again, it's not putting on some spiritual belt. What God is telling us is we are to be ready for battle all the time because we don't know when it's coming. You don't know when Satan's going to attack. You don't know how he's going to attack. So we need to be ready for battle at all times. Now, again, he says, having your loins girt about with truth. If you're having your loins girt about, he's saying be ready for battle. But then with truth. Now, the word truth here refers to the openness and honesty that we have between all things with God and man. Now, Paul has already given us, in Ephesians, he's already given us five chapters of truth. Five chapters of who we are in God what God has done for us, what God has, has blessed us with. And so he's, he's already told us, you're accepted in the Beloved. You are an accepted child of God. He's already told us that we've been redeemed, that we've been bought with a price, that you are a part of God's family. He's already told us we have been sealed with the Spirit. But this is the part that has to do with you. He's saying, put on the belt of truth. What he's telling us here is to be ready for battle, you need to see yourself as God sees you through the Word of God. You need to see yourself as God sees you. Because we're real good at seeing ourselves how we, how, how we do. And look, we don't have a great view of ourselves. Most of us. We've all met some, some jerks who are very, very egotistical, but I've found people who, who seem like they think highly of themselves really don't. They're putting off that persona because they're so self-conscious. They're so concerned people are going to find out how, how bad they truly are, so they put off this big persona. So he's saying, don't think of yourself like you think of yourself. Because, you know, how do you think of yourself? Usually unworthy, not good enough, not, 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 be, not able to do these things. God says, 
I look at you and I see someone who's accepted, someone who's beloved, someone who's still with the Spirit, someone who has the power of God living and abiding inside of them, someone who is, no matter what happens in your life, you are a child of the King. And nothing nothing, and no one can take that away from you. So he's saying to put on the belt of truth. You've been sealed with the Spirit. That is who you are. So you see God and you see yourself and you see others through the lens of the Word of God. It means that you have to be honest and open with God. Honest and open with yourself and open with what the Spirit talks to you about because the enemy is always whispering. His number one tactic is to deceive. It's what he, he did with Eve. He questioned God's goodness in the garden. It's his very first attack. It's how he's always done it. He comes up to Eve and says, Did God really say, Don't eat it, you know, you can't eat that, that thing? So he questioned God's goodness. He questioned the accuracy of what you knew. Did God really say that? Then he twisted the truth. Well, God said that because he knows if you eat it, then your eyes will be open and you'll be like God. Which was true. Their eyes would be opened, but they wouldn't be like God. Sin would enter the world. So he lies about the consequences of our actions, and his method has not changed in over 6,000 years. He, tells, he told Eve then, eat the fruit, you'll be happy. He tells us today, you want to be happy, you've got you to have a bunch of stuff. Got to look a certain way. Got to have certain things. Got to work yourself to death so you can get all the money you can, so you can buy all the stuff you can, so everybody sees how great you are, and that'll make you happy. Satan, Satan tells us that who we are and what we have is not enough. If you want to be significant, if you want to be happy, then you have to have this other things. And that is a lie that we buy into all the time. You know, we come to church, we pray, we read our Bible but we let the world dictate our actions. We raise our kids the same way the world does. We handle our money the same way the world does. We think the same way the world does. We talk the same way the world does. Why? Because we've been deceived. We are convinced that we are doing the right thing at the right time with the right motive. You know, Eve didn't take a bite of that fruit knowing it would destroy creation. She didn't take that fruit and say, well, if I eat this, I'm going to condemn billions and billions of people to hell. She did not know that was going to happen. She thought it would be the best thing that she ever got. And there are a lot of lies that we buy into. You know, take care of yourself first because no one else will. That's a lie that Satan tells us we buy into. The Bible is an ancient book and it's not relevant for today. Here's a, here's a good one. Truth is relative. What is true for me may not be true for everyone else. Anybody ever heard somebody say that? Well, truth is relative. No, it's not. Truth is truth. And so, well, and you know, here's a good one. Live your truth. Well, I don't even know what that means, live your truth. But live your truth. Your truth is different. Brother McCormick, your truth is different than my truth. No, it's not. Truth is truth. And so people, you and you know, they use that to justify their actions. Well, you may believe that what I'm doing is wrong, but that's your truth. My truth says what I'm doing is fine. It's a way to justify our actions. Here's another one. If God was loving, he wouldn't let bad things happen. It's a good one that we hear all the time. Even Christians, I've heard believers, if God loved me, why do you let this happen? Here's another one. Stand up for your rights no matter what. You know the only thing you should stand up for? No matter what? The truth. The truth of the Word of God. 
And so we, we, we buy these lies of Satan. So we are to put on the belt of truth. Satan's first attack on mankind was deception. It was his first attack, and it's how he always attacks us. He tries to deceive us. And what was our response when he attacked us with deception? Our response was hiding, denial, and blaming. Adam and Eve, they hid from God. They denied did anything wrong, and then they started blaming. It wasn't me, God. It was that woman. It wasn't me, God. It was that snake. If you had put that snake in here, I never would have done it. That hasn't changed in 6,000 years either. We see the truth about ourselves, and it's painful, and what are we to do? We deny it. Or if we accept it, we, we blame it on someone else. It was the woman. It was the snake. It wasn't my fault. The belt of truth means getting honest and owning your own sins without excuses and without blaming. It says, God, it is saying, God, until I get honest with you, there's no hope to defend myself against the lies of the devil. Kenneth Weiss said this. He said, the best truth, the best of truth is the man or woman whose mind will practice no deceit and no disguise in their walk with God. You know, David, of course, David was called a man after God's own heart. And, you know, we all know David's victories, but we also know David's sin with David and Bathsheba. And David, he was a man after God's own heart because after he saw his sin, he had a, a prayer of confession. And in, in Psalms, he has a, a prayer to God that it's, it's worth memorizing, it's worth living out and actually praying honestly and openly. In Psalms 139, he said, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way of understanding. That is what made David a man after God's own heart. When he sinned, he did what we all do. He tried to hide it at first. He tried to get Uriah to come in and, and, and go with his wife and go with Bathsheba so he would think that he was the father. He tried to, to hide it. He, he denied it and he, he blamed on other things. But when he was confronted with his sin by the prophet, it broke his heart. And it is a good, that is a good prayer to pray every day. Ask God to search you. God, search my heart. Show me where I'm in danger. Show me where I fall short. And look, God will not speak to you in vague things. If you openly and honestly and truly go to God and say, God, search my heart and show me where I'm falling short, God's not going to vaguely say, oh, you should probably treat your wife better. God's going to give you specific things. He's going to prick your heart and say, that right there, that's what you need to deal with. And when he tells you what to deal with, deal with it. Do what God tells you to do with. He will convict you and give specific things because God wants to restore you to him. You know, as believers, we've already won the war. If you're saved tonight, the war has been won. When you die, you get to see Jesus Christ face to face. But we still have battles we have to face. But God has given us everything we need to win the battles, to stand against the attacks of the enemy. We have to pick up the weapons. We have to pick up the armor and put it on and stand strong and not give up what we already own. And that starts with putting on the belt of truth, with being honest with yourself and with God about who you are. We need to invite God to examine our hearts and show us who we really are so we can get the forgiveness and restoration that we need. We need people in our lives that can be honest with us about the areas that we need help with. That's how we put on the belt of truth. 
by being honest with ourselves and others and God about who we truly are and asking God to show us where we need help with.